just, uh, you know, things are on our heart. We can see things changing up here. You can actually see with your eyes the growth um, and what God's actually doing in your life and also possibly even a stretching in your life at this time as well. Uh, and I just wanted to have a chat to you about, uh, I think, one of those areas that God's looking at, and it's the plan for our lives. When I left school, you know, I had really no plan. My desire was just to get a job. And I tried, and I walked streets, and actually, as a school job, I worked in the Chelsea Sugar Refinery. Anybody work there? It was just a place where they would take you on during the school, and it was a really boring job, but it paid good money. And I got my first motorbike through working at Chelsea Refinery. When I left school, I went there to see if I could get a job, you know, a more regular job, and they said, sorry, you're too young. So as a student, you could get a student job, but you had to be over 21 to actually get a full-time job there. So, you know, it was going from door to door, actually, knocking on door to door to try and get a job. And I ended up in a male, M-A-I-L, advertising company, just to clarify that. (laughs) And uh, that was uh, quite a good job. It was a hard job, but, you know, once upon a time, advertising was done through the mail. It wasn't done through the computer or internet. So if, you see, if somebody wanted to reach all the doctors, that had to go through that or all the engineers or whatever. So we were, had people working for us that would type up all the envelopes. A typewriter, does anybody know what that is? You know, a typewriter, type labels, and they'd be doing that at home. They'd bring the envelopes in and then we'd have ladies come in and they'd fill all that. So that was my first job, just helping to keep that running. And then, of course, take all those mail bags, bags and bags of mail, uh, you get those to the post office. So that was my first job. But then I became redundant two years later, and uh, I was in a supervisory position in that job, and then I went into a knitwear factory as a production supervisor. And again, a new job, but it was just, you know, I needed a job, and that, they offered me the job, and so I uh, worked there, actually, for two years as well. But then chance have it, I got stopped by a traffic cop. If you remember the traffic cops on the motorbikes, you know, and their jobbers and that, Sally and I got stopped at just a routine checkpoint, and they're just checking the car over. And I thought, man, that looks a good job. Hit the guys riding in short sleeves, you know, on a motorbike. I love motorbikes. Maybe I could... Uh... So I asked the guy about the job. And he said, oh, look, come around at lunchtime. And he said, on my lunch break, and I'll pop in and see you. So uh, he did that. It was really nice of him. And uh, he shared with me how to join. So I had long hair in those days, you know, a bit of long hair. And, uh, and I went round, and they said, you realize you're joining the short hair brigade? I said, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. I didn't say I just want to ride a motorbike. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting how your career changes. And um, it was a short time later that I, I became a uh, Ministry of Transport traffic officer. And I spent 11 years riding motorbikes. You know, and that was a plan, but I ended up spending, of course, as you know, 27 years in the police as well before I became a pastor. But looking back on it, God had his hand on my life, even though I didn't know. You know, I went from one job to another until I moved into the Ministry of Transport. And there were times there where economically New Zealand was in a difficult position, but being in that job brought stability into my life. Also, I was a little bit short to get in the job. So, you know, they measure you, and, and just miraculously, I got in. You know, I was tall enough for the measurement, so 
There's a lot of things like that, God, where you can see the hand of God on your life. And I'm sure the same with you. You know, when you look at your life, um, have you planned it out? Did you plan it out from the beginning, or did you just step into it bit by bit, and then you saw it evolve? You know, I want to look at first, the scripture I want to look at to see somebody else who didn't have a plan, really, to start off with, but God had a plan for their life. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. You know, an angel also appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling him not to be afraid and to take Mary as his wife. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary to be his wife. The interesting thing is these two had not planned that. That wasn't in their plan. And yet God came along in their lives and challenged them or asked them would they be prepared for him to do something in their life. And it's interesting because that's the same as us, really. God had a plan to bring salvation to the world. And we can clearly see that through Mary and Joseph and through their willingness to allow God to do that, that began. But guess what? That brings us into it as well because God still has a plan for salvation to the world. And who does he want to work through? Somebody was brave enough to say us. He wants to work through us. Let's pray. Let's just commit this to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know you you just placed this word on my heart. And Lord, you want me and you want us to hear this message. So we just pray that what is of you, people receive with gladness in their hearts. What's of me will just fall to the ground. But Lord, we just commit this time. Let us hear your voice, Lord. Encourage us, strengthen us, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Yes, we have a plan. Let's have a look at uh, what John says in chapter 15. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my commandment, love each other. It's interesting there when we know, probably all of us know, that God said, I've chosen you. All right? I've chosen you. But the other thing he says is to bear much fruit. And that's the area that I really want to talk about today. He also says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. That's very encouraging to us, especially those who are on a church plant or somebody who's left their family and moved on. That God says 
that he will bless us. When you leave something behind, you know, when you leave Auckland and you leave your family behind, when you leave wherever you are and go somewhere else, God honors that, and he promises that he will honor that. It wasn't an easy start for Joseph and Mary, leaving their families, fleeing through a very unhospitable desert. If, when we've been there and we've seen what the road is like to get from Egypt to Israel, it's awful. It's just rock. It's desert. How they did it on a donkey, I don't know. It was, it's just an inhospitable place. But that they knew that God was in their lives and they were willing to obey. God calls us into the kingdom of light because he has a plan for us to bear fruit and to, what? Love one another. Now, see if you can tell the person beside you, just wake them up a minute and say, you have been called to bear fruit. (laughs) Come on. You've been called to bear fruit. And to love one another. Say, and to love one another. Come on. That's all of us. That's every single person in this room has been called to bear fruit and to love one another. The second part sometimes can be easier than the first part. And I think in our hearts we want to bear fruit. We want to be doing that. It's just in us. In Jeremiah we read, For I, now, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And in Corinthians, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now some of you can probably testify to that. And you know, when I, I've spoken about before of selling a section, if you can remember that. You know, at that time, sitting on that section, I never imagined the sights that I would see, the experiences that I would have once I obeyed God and sold that. I, I joked about Bangladesh. That is one of the poorest countries in the world. Sitting on that piece of land in the Coromandel did not prepare me for Bangladesh. But my eye had never conceived, you know, my ears. You were assaulted as soon as you arrived there. There was the smell was different from here, if you imagine a poor city. There were the beggars that were begging and asking right outside the airport. You hadn't even got into your vehicle, and they were pleading with you for the money. I didn't even know what the money was worth over there, you know. So the, the horns, they were, the guy was blasting his horn all the way into town. I thought, were we special or something? Then I realized everybody blasts their horn at everybody. (laughs) If you wanted to go into business over there, you'd be somebody who sells horns, I think. (laughs) But that that was just the way. It was just chaotic. And, you know, the sights and the, the people on the side of the road. But not prepared. But the thing is that to see what God was doing in that place was so exciting as well. To see the love that was being demonstrated by the Christians there. The light being a Muslim country. You know, there's many things like that. Hudson Taylor once said, God's work done God's way will not lack God's supply. And I think if you've been in a position where money is tight, sometimes we think God is tight as well. But he's not. 
Ultimately, we limit God's greatness too easily. Our minds cannot conceive the enormity of what can do and wants to do through us. So this, today I'm just going to try and, try and stretch your mind a little bit to say, God's got a huge plan for you. And you might even be thinking, oh, I can't see it, all right? But it's there, and it is his plan. Let's have a look at Luke, chapter 5, 4 to 7. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Has anybody here had so many fish on their boat that they're beginning to sink? Give me a wave, John. No? <laughs> okay, Sam, you show us the pictures. <laughs> the thing is that what was their expectancy? They hadn't caught any fish. The Lord said, yeah, put out on the other side. In their minds, what would you have been thinking? Okay, maybe 10, maybe 20 fish. All right, their expectancy would not have been anywhere near what God was going to do for their life. And I think that's just the picture of us. What would we expect if he said, put your net down on the other side? Let's go to uh, Matthew 15. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. At the end of the three days, it was probably a conference, probably Galilee and beyond or something like that, springs to mind. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. Now, this was a huge opportunity for the disciples. What was the conversation going to be like? All right? They could have said to one another, Wow, what a wonderful three days. This could keep us going in testimonies for days. They could have said, we have seen him turn water into wine, and only a few days ago he, we had 12 basketfuls of leftovers from only five loaves and two fish. What will he do today? That could have been their expectancy, and that should be our expectancy. What is God going to do through us today? But sadly, you know what the disciples said. Where could we get enough bread for this remote place to feed such a crowd? Anybody been there? We can, it's hopeless. They'd seen, I just can't get my head around this. They had seen God performing miracle after miracle after miracle, and he'd already done a bread trick. He'd done a water trick, and he'd done a bread trick. And here they're saying, oh, we can't do it, because they, again, they're looking within themselves. And, of course, we know what God did. 
You know, he brought a mighty miracle again, and they still had basketfuls. And that's our mindset. That's what I'm trying to say. That's our mindset often. You know, we're looking at going down to conference, and God challenged me over this. Last year, we sponsored quite, we as a church sponsored quite a few people to go to the conference. This year, we're hoping people have, have had a chance to save up and will be able to afford it. But my mind was thinking, man, you know, Auckland, they can just go home and still go to the conference. We need to get some accommodation. You know, how will our people be able to afford accommodation? And I started thinking in my own mind how I'm going to solve that or how we can solve that. But really, if I look at the loaves and the fishes, I think, well, God wants us down there. He, he will provide accommodation. All right? And, and so I think we in our hearts need to be saying, do I want to go? Do I want to be involved in that? Lord, I need a hand. And I'm expecting something great. I'm expecting something great. We read of many accounts of miracles. We even sum ourselves from time to time, but we still don't believe God wants to work powerfully through us. We actually sing songs like our... I was tempted to sing it, but I'll scare you. <laughs> don't then, thanks, Frank. He's encouraging. Lance, which side did you say was best? <laughs> our God is an awesome God. We sing. He reigns from heaven above. We pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we actually pray that a slice of heaven will come down on earth. We say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But do we believe any of those things? Do we actually believe them or do we just keep on saying that sort of thing? You know, I've got a picture of a train up there. It's an old-fashioned train, and it's got an engine, and it's got a coal car. But the picture I just want to show is that if the train represents the, actually the engine can represent the, the Bible or truth, not fact, truth. There's a difference between facts and truth. The doctor can say to you, you've got an illness. The truth says by his, his stripes we are healed, if you know what I mean. So the truth is the engine. But on the back there is a coal car. And the coal car is our faith or our belief. We believe in the truth. We believe in the Bible. We have faith in the Bible and that causes that train to move. And that's how we generate our Christian walk. All right? Believing actually what the Word of God says. The Bible outlines God's greatness over and over, but somehow we do not make the connection to our lives. In Hebrews, we read, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The disciples often underestimated his power. Even Moses, near the end of his 40 years in the desert, so 40 years with God providing him, even Moses questioned. Let's have a look at Numbers. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, about 3 million people in total. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in their sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea 
It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground. As far as a day's walk in any direction, can anybody imagine that? Quail this high, you've seen chooks and you've seen birds on the ground, but quail this high for as far as a day's walk. It's just amazing. It's an amazing miracle. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. All right. The quail probably weren't very happy, but the children of Israel were probably happy that they were going to get some meat for a change. This is the enormity. This is what I want to show you, that when we limit God, we limit him, but he can do extraordinary, more than we ever ask or think, and he wants to do it through us. God has always achieved his purposes through people, people like you and me. But we forget that God has already achieved through men and women, outlined in the Bible, and so we disqualify ourselves. But we need to come back to the Word of God to see what He's actually doing. We say, I'm only a mother, or I don't know anybody, or I work all day and I'm too tired, or I'm too old or I'm too young. We just use these excuses to say why God can't work through us. Gideon tried to disqualify himself when told by God, go in strength and save Israel. He said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am at least in my family. Moses also tried to disqualify himself, as we see in Exodus. And when God told him he was sending him to Pharaoh, Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out? And, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since, or have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. So these are great men of God that we look up to as leaders, but they also struggle the same way we struggle. We can see that even through these great men did not have confidence in themselves, who did have confidence in them? Who had confidence in these people? God did. And God has confidence in you, every one of you. God has confidence in you, no matter what age you are. God is looking for willingness, not greatness. He's looking for surrender, not expertise. And he's looking for zeal, not adequacy. If we wait until we feel we are finally trained and equipped, we may miss the greatness of God. You know, when they asked me to come up here, I'd had some experience in pastoring but I can remember ages ago thinking to myself, when I looked at what Pastor Tuck does, I said, I don't want to be the sole charge of a church. This is way back. It's a bit like that song, Please Don't Send Me to Africa, you know? And, of course, they go to Africa. Well, I started singing at one stage, Please Don't Send Me to Hawaii, but it didn't actually end up going there. But the thing is that God knows what we're capable of doing, and then he brings us in, and in faith, we've got to walk that out. I'm not saying we don't need training, by the way, or an education. Some will be called to further training, and some will also be called to Bible college. But there are many parts of the body, so don't let the enemy tell you you are inadequate. That's my point. 
Brother Yun, a Chinese believer who was tortured and imprisoned for much of his early Christian life, tells us in his book entitled The Heavenly Man of his mother who never learned to read or write, but who became the first preacher in his village, leading a small church service in her house. He states, as I look back on those early days, I'm amazed at how God used my mother, despite her illiteracy and ignorance, her heart was totally surrendered to Jesus. You know the stories. You've heard stories before. You've heard of people who can't speak English going to a job interview and speaking with the person and then saying at the end of it, please forgive me for I don't understand the language too well and the person's then been told that he spoke fluent English. You know, there's all sorts of amazing stories that God can work through our life. Men getting saved in prison that can't read, and yet when they're given a Bible, they're able actually to read it. You know, these are wonderful stories. God can work. If we want to work with him, he can work with us. It has been said, it is not great men and women who change the world, but weak men and women in the hands of a great God. So what can we do? Okay, first thing is to pray. We don't need to wait until we are knocked off our horse as Saul did on the road to Damascus or wait for a burning bush to get started. We begin with prayer, prayer of willingness to be used by God with confidence, knowing he has a plan for every one of us. As he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. There is your entry, there is your entry key to the plan of God. That's not an hour in a prayer room. That is a prayer in your heart at any stage. It could be in the shower, it could be sitting on the edge of your bed, it could be driving in the car. It's saying, God, I want to step into my plan. He's called us, what? To bear fruit. He's called us to see salvation come to the world. That could be loving people. It could just be pouring out love. It could be preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter what, but God knows what you're capable, and he wants to hear those, those prayers. Lord, use me. Use me to make a difference in this world. Secondly, faith, believing. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest evangelists of the century, kept it really simple when he would say, only believe. Two words. That was his motto, always saying it, only believe. Yes, believe God, believe he loves you to bits and that he has a mighty plan for you. Does anybody in this room believe that? Give me a wave if you actually believe it or you're starting to believe it. Two hands at the back. Good on you, mate. He's got an awesome plan for the young people here. Believe it when he tells us, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now let's just have a little bit of a benchmark here on that verse. Could you put up your hand if you feel that you've got to that stage where you are doing more than Jesus is? What? 
We've got a way to go, haven't we? And unless we're challenged in that, we're not going to make it. And we challenge ourselves as well. Can And I challenge myself. Lord, you promise that if I have faith in you, I'll do even greater things. But I want it. I want to be seeing those things happening. I want it to be a regular part of my life. And then the next, you did not choose him, but he chose I'll just remind you of that. You did not choose him, but he chose you and appointed you to go and be a fruit. I mentioned that before. He's, that's what he's appointed us to do. So the next step, okay, we pray, we believe. The next step is what? Kick the lying devil out of your life. The accusing devil. He's always accusing you and he's lying to you. And he's making you think you're small and making you think you're inadequate and making you think you can't do it. Or maybe making you think that God has walked over, passed you by. Paul to the Ephesians said, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, I would have liked to have had a shield with me, because the shield of faith, if you can imagine going into battle, that shield of faith extinguishes all the fiery darts. So what is on that shield? Anybody want to guess? What is it? What's the shield of faith? I've just heard it over here, the Word of God. God has given you, 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 promises, each one of you. He's given you promises. You'll be going through a certain situation, but God has given you promises about that. The shield of faith extinguishes those fiery darts. It might be something to do with your health. It might be something to do with your finances. It might be something to do with your family. But the Bible says that that shield of faith that you hold and that you believe will extinguish all the fiery darts. We think of the sword as the word of God, and we can use that in battle. But sometimes God wants us to put that sword into the ground, dive it into the ground, and stand there and tie ourselves to it. We are not going to be moved. I'm standing on the word. The, the enemy is not going to take me. He's not going to take my family. He's not going to take my finances. And that's a part of wisdom. The sailor, who's, who the old sailing ship, if you remember the big wheel that they used to sail the ships with, they used to hold on to that wheel. But at times of storm, they were tied to their post so that they weren't washed away, and they were tied to that wheel. And sometimes we need to tie ourselves to the Word of God. But it says the shield of faith extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And Jesus said in Luke ten nineteen, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy, nothing will harm you. You know, if we could see into the spiritual realm, and some of you may be able to do that, if we could see in this room right now, we would see the angelic host, all right? We would see that with our own eyes, like, you know, Elisha said to his servant, just, well, said to God, open his eyes, and he could see all the angels there that were far outnumbered the, the soldiers that had come to take them away. If we could see that, we would understand this principle, that God has given us authority over the demonic forces. But what we see is, we see people. 
And we see their anger and we see the way they behave and our focus becomes on them. Our focus needs to become on the enemy and to say, get out. We've got to tell him to take that authority. And Jesus says he's under our feet. There's a tendency to think because he seems to be up there that he's above us. No, he's below us. In the picking order, he's below us. The only authority the devil gets is what we give him, really. So we need to take that authority over the devil. So we need to pray and ask God, Lord, I want to be part of your plan. We need to believe that that is God's, that is God's plan, that we are part of his plan. And then we need to tell the lying devil to get out. We are not left behind. We are here for a purpose. The great news is that when God puts a plan into action, he won't end up half done. Even if Satan gets a whiff of it, he will not thwart it unless we allow him. Remember, he tried to prevent Moses from even being born, and he didn't succeed. He tried to kill Jesus. There was a plan. Mary and Joseph stood, came into the plan of God, but God did not let that happen. That when all the babies were killed, he had Mary and Joseph escape to Egypt. Even when Jesus was older, they were going to throw him off a cliff, but that did not happen. And I want you to understand that God will not allow the enemy to take your plan away unless you allow it, all right? Because you've been given the authority over him. Satan will continue to fail because that's God's will. He knows he's defeated, and we must remind him of that fact. God knows our potential, and he knew it before we were even born. As it says in Psalm, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So this year, I just want this, what's left of this year and next year, I'd like the church to be starting to buzz about what God has planned for them. What are you hearing God is saying? Where are you in regards to you know, reaching this community or any other community? that the church becomes a buzz where you ask one another, what's God's plan for you? Your friends, find out what's in their heart. There are people that want to go over to Africa. There are people that want to work with the young people. There are people that want to work with men. There are many areas that people have in their hearts. Let's start to see as a church, we start to birth that. We give encouragement to it. We help the person take the next step. All right, as, so these plans and these flowers, you know, start to flourish. That little seed of a spring bulb goes into the ground, and yet it produces a huge flower. All right, that's in you. As it says in Isaiah, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. I often imagine having, anybody who's been tented, you've got a tent that's a certain size, but I imagine challenging God and moving out with a tent post and saying, the tent's not going to stretch out this far unless you stretch it, Lord. You know, get that in your heart. I'm stretching my tent peg out there. And God's saying, well, why don't you take it a bit further? All right, the enemy's saying it can't be done. Picture yourself stretching yourself. So as we come into this new era, I want to challenge you to seek God's plan for your life. 
a plan that is bigger than you, a plan where you will see the awesome power of God, a plan that will excite you, a plan that will burn inside you and will consume your thoughts, your prayers, and your heart. Believe that there's much fruit to come through your life and through your hands. Believe it is true. Remember, when God truly moves in your heart, you will not be able to remain silent. You will be like Jeremiah. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I look forward to actually seeing people coming in here with the birth of what God's doing in their lives. Let's pray. Let's Let's just put your hand on your heart. Lord, your word doesn't say some of us. Some of you were chosen for this or some of us were chosen for that. Lord, you said that you chose us to bear much fruit and to love one another. And I know, Lord, this church is a church, a loving church. There are many in here reaching out and touching others. And many, dear Lord, and some, there's much fruit. But Lord, I just challenge myself and I challenge those here as as well, that we will hear your voice. We will come to that point where we say, it's true. You want to work through me. And Lord, I want to let you work through me. I want to come to that place, Lord, where I'm fulfilling the plan. I don't want to just go through life day after day. I want to step into that plan that you have for me. And Lord, I know through Joseph and Mary, there was hardship at times. But what a great victory that they were able to play the part in. Help us also to walk in victory. And Lord, we just take authority over the devil. He's under our feet. We've had enough of his lying. We've had enough of his putting our family down, ourselves down. We've had enough of him stealing our money, stealing our thoughts. We take authority over him in the name of Jesus. Devil, out of our lives. Out. And we look forward to the promise that you have for each one of us. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. I'm excited to hear what is happening. All right? Let's just uh, get the musicians up, the worship team. They're just an awesome team. Even though Frank gave me a hard time, I want to acknowledge Frank. I don't know if he's had a day off, a Sunday off. I can't remember him having a Sunday off. But he's been here every Sunday, and it's just awesome. And you can sing too pretty good. And Lance too and the team and Ross as well. They're just here all the time. And uh, let's just uh, appreciate them, eh? Let's give them a clap. And I just want to honor them. But we're just coming to that special time of the service, really, where God's just working in your life. Not only is he working in your life, he's working in other people's lives. And, uh, you know, some of you may not have even asked Jesus into your heart yet. But God has a plan for you. I want you to know whether you've asked Jesus into your heart or you love him to bits. 
God has a plan for your life, and it's a great plan. Let's just stand, church, just a bit of a stretch. Pray. Pray for those that are here that have yet to accept Christ. Pray for those that aren't here that you'd love to see here. Just engage with me as we just listen to what God is saying. Lord, your word says that you so loved the world that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Lord, you didn't come to condemn the world. You came to bring the world closer to you. I just want to make that offer to anybody here today that would like to accept Christ into their lives, would like to accept Jesus into their heart. Anybody would like to do that today, just put your hand up. Anybody who hasn't done that yet, just indicate to me, yes, I'd like to give my heart to the Lord. You know, when I left school, I just started out with no plan. But God brought me into his kingdom, and he had a plan for my life. And I can look back and see miracle after miracle after miracle. I can see how he saved my life two to three times. And you're probably thinking the same. He's done it to you as well. Because he has a plan for your life. You didn't die. You're here now. Because he's got something for you to do. He's got more for you to do. Anybody like to just ask Jesus into their heart today? Anybody just like to make that decision? We've all done it. I don't want to embarrass you in any way. Just indicate to me. Just wave your hand and say, Yes, Pastor, I'd like to do that. I don't want to just stretch this out too far, but this is one of the most important parts of a service, is salvation. The Word of God says that today is the day of salvation. Some of you can't afford to put that off. You may need to make a decision. Is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If I were to die today, where would I go? If you have any doubt about that, please put your hand up so that we can just reassure you that if you were to die, you would go to heaven. God's children, his sons and his daughters, when they pass away, go to heaven. This is an apprenticeship. What have we got? Ten years, some. Maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. 80. And then we're gone to a new place. Anybody like to make that decision today? Is something happening in your heart? Is God talking to you this morning? Come. He's saying, come. I love you. Come. Come.